Welcome to the Christmas episode of Print Run. Holiday. Oh. Oh, yeah. It is. I guess it is. It is the holiday episode for we are a show of many belief systems and cultures and people. We are as inclusive as the day is long. But anyway... Today is our holiday episode. Today is Monday, December 12th. My name is Eric Kane, and with me, as always, is the uh, warmonger on Christmas, Laura Zatz. Just call me the Grinch. <laughs> I'm all for the green Starbucks cup. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we've got we've got a really good episode for you today. Uh, this is our last one for a few weeks as we go on break, but we're going to be talking about... Um, we're going to be talking about censorship a little bit. We're going to be talking about Hatchimals. I don't know if you guys have been following Hatchimalgate. <laughs> That's what I've dubbed it just now. <laughs> but hashtag um, Hatchimalgate. Yeah, yeah, hashtag Hatchimalgate. Um, there, there's a there's a publishing tie-in. We promise. Um, and of course, we're going to be talking about the great commentary on 21st century publishing, which is of course the movie Elf. Um, but before we do any of that, why don't you give us the basic news here, Laura? Absolutely. So as Eric mentioned, we are going to be going on break after this episode, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because, again, we'll be traveling. Um, we'll be returning with regular episodes on January 3rd. But for those of you who miss us and are just sitting at home with your family and need an escape. Uh, we will you- be. Mostly yeah. that'll be Eric. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you need a little hi, bit mom. of an escape. Yep. Hi, mom. Uh, December 15th is going to be our special query show for our Patreon subscribers. And December 29th is going to be our first pages show. Mm-hmm. Also for our Patreon subscribers. If you want to get in on that special, special Christmas content, <clears throat> log on to patreon.com and, and uh, support us. It'll help us yeah. keep the lights on and it'll give you some extra stuff to do during the holidays. Yeah. And of course, as always, um, my weekly reminder that if you are enjoying the show and you think it's, you know, an entertaining part of your week or anything, um, if you could take 30 seconds and rate us on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. It would mean the world to us. Preferably Um, five stars, not one star like the star of Bethlehem. Wow. Great. I'm going hard. Great Christmas tie-in. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Don't tell them what amount of stars to give us. Five stars. Um, but we, we'd love it if you, if you rated us, um, it would be obviously helpful to us in our trying to climb the iTunes algorithm and chase down the New York times book review podcast, which is of course our blood enemy. Um, but anyway, tell, tell the people what they have to look forward to when we come back, Eric. Yeah. So this is our last, you know, this is our last episode for this year, but we're going to be back in early January, of course. Um, and I'm really excited about it because, I don't know. We I feel like we've spent this what episode? What number episode is ten. this? Is ten. This is, a, this is ten? ten. This is episode ten. Wow, man, the time is flying. Play that. Play that Green Day song that everyone plays on graduation. It's called Graduation uh, Day. Is it really? Yes. Oh, jeez. Who who knew? Really? I did. Yeah, clearly, you did. Um, but <laughs> um, I feel like we've spent the last ten episodes kind of figuring it out a little bit, kind of getting our legs under us, and I'm really excited to take two weeks and kind of think through what we want to do in the new year. And I'm really optimistic about the ways we're going to kind of expand the show, the way we're going to be able to bring in some new features. Um, one major thing I'm really excited about is we're going to start bringing in guests. Whoop. Yeah, no, that's going to be good because that will give you perspective that, you know, isn't yours or mine, which people are probably dying for at this point. <laughs> um, but, the, but the point is um, it's – you know, we're going to be off for two weeks, and when we come back, we think we're going to be able to kind of build on what we feel like has been a reasonably successful first uh, set of episodes. So uh, stick with us, and we will continue to hashtag do better. 
Hashtag do better. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. But with guests and crazy stories, and believe me, there are some fun stories coming. Yeah, no, it'll be good. Um, you know, we'll get a, try to get a wide range of people to be on the show, and um, we think we'll be able to. So, But first, before we get there, yeah. before we go on break, Eric, tell us about this generation's Furby. Oh man! So this was a this was a deep dive today, um, <laughs> because today, um, courtesy of the Huffington Post, I learned about Hatchimals. Um, are you, do you know what a Hatchimal is? No. Yeah, yeah, no. It, it's best if you don't. Um, it seems to be, it, yeah. It's like you're saying. It's this generation's Furby, um, which is to say that it's a little electronic creature that yells at you and makes you feel bad for taking poor care of it. Um, but I guess it's some, it's like the hot toy of this Christmas. I think the I think the the thing that makes it special is that it comes in an egg and you you hatch it. You have by to like nurture the it. egg, yeah, and then and then you don't know what you're getting yeah. until you get it. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that's see, that's dangerous though, because you could pop that thing out and it's like not the one your kid wanted. Well, and they're then what? fifty dollars. Like, what are to you Walmart supposed to buy? On December like twenty of them. No, but you can't buy them at Walmart on December 26th. <laughs> Tell the people why, Eric. Well, that's because, um, and this is the book tie-in, we would never just speak about Hatchimals for no reason on the show. Well, may- maybe we would. but We might. Um, I, yeah, I'm not above that. But the reason we're talking about it is because this has a lot to do with New York Times bestselling author, author Sarah Gruen, who is, of course, the author of Water for Elephants. Um, and what she did during her holiday season today is buy up $23,500 worth of Hatchimal toys. (laughs) She bought them all. She bought them all. Her literal plan was to buy all of them and resell them. She's tr- basically she's trying to run that racket you usually see on like video games or like new sneakers or something where you just like buy a bunch of them and then re you know resell them on eBay or whatever. And so these are fifty dollar toys yeah. that sh- she bought a hundred and fifty of them, mm-hmm. which are now like on eBay going up to about two hundred dollars. Yeah. So at current market pricing, she's got almost twenty four thousand dollars <laughs> worth of automatic furry plastic toys. Yeah. I hope they're all hatching. In her house. I hope so. That'd be fun. That would be great. <laughs> um, but so why why does she why did she buy all these? What what was her motivation? So HuffPo insists says that Gruen insists that her this is a quote mm-hmm. insists that her price hike on more than 150 toys is not for personal gain. Uh-huh. All of the profit will go towards the hundred and fifty thousand dollars she has spent <laughs> trying to free a to man behind bars. So nobody knows. <laughs> So, so nobody knows who this dude is, but she told the Philadelphia Voice that he's going to be the focus of a, quote, making a murderer type documentary series. Yeah. So basically the situation is that this woman who, you know, I mean, a smart lady, right? She wrote this best-selling book that everyone really liked. My mother didn't like it. To no? be honest. I haven't read it. Mom didn't like it. All I know about it is the elephant speaks Polish and Nicole Kidman was in the movie. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, so Sarah has bought all these Hatchimals. She's reselling them with an attempt to uh, get somebody out of prison and I guess create, you know, she's about creating that content. Yeah. She's trying to do a making the murder type, making a murderer type documentary out of this by selling Hatchimals. Here's what I'm guessing. Yeah. I am guessing that she is has fallen deeply in love with this unnamed person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely like a romantic element here. And has spent $150,000 trying to get him freed from prison. Yeah. Um, 
and wants all of us to be involved in it because why not make a documentary as well? Yeah. Uh, but so here's the best part. The she, hitch. The, the hitch, hitch in the plan. The yeah. hitch. Uh, so this is basically a cloaked fundraiser, uh-huh. right? Right. So there's a few different hitches. Hitch number one. Is that she's cra- a crazy person buying 150 hatchimals? That wasn't hitch. Well, that's part of hitch number one. <laughs> that was hitch, hitch number zero. Hitch, <laughs> hitch number one is that even if she sells all of them, uh-huh. she'll still only net about seven grand. Yeah. Yeah, that's not very much. That's not going to help gonna get That's not going to put a dent in $150,000. Yeah. I mean, if somebody handed me seven grand for my student loans, I'd be like, okay, and? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that much. Yeah. Right? Um, second hitch. Yeah, this is the kicker. This is the part where the story gets kind of funny. She's been trying to, to resell me. the toys. Yeah. She's learned that eBay and Amazon have regulations that limit how many Hatchimals somebody can sell. Fancy that, that you can't just go buy everybody's product and resell it. So eBay only yeah. lets her sell three a week. And she only gave, <clears throat> she bought this, she bought these Hatchimals. I can't believe I'm saying Hatchimals this You're this, saying Hatchimals. I am. This holiday season, you're saying Hatchimals. <laughs> So she bought them on like Black Friday weekend, yeah, essentially, right. right? And she bought them above market price. Mm-hmm. And she's turning around to sell them, but she can only sell three a week uh-huh. on these like big, big, big websites. Yeah. But and and so she's not gonna sell through them all. Yeah, she's gonna end up with a bunch of Hatchimals past Christmas, which basically makes them worthless because no one is going to buy this stupid thing after Christmas. Guess who cares about tickle me Elmo now? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody wants to Elmo. tickle Elmo. Everybody um, wants to hit tickle these Hatchimals and then Come two weeks from now, nobody's going to want to tickle them either. Yeah, and then you're going to be stuck with about from what seems to be a hundred of them. And she's claiming that she is now facing financial ruin. Um, this is her quote. Um, she says, "I have a fortune invested, only one venue to offload them, and only three weeks they will magically transform into useless pumpkins." Pumpkins is honestly like a nice term for what these things will turn into. Um, <laughs> that will take up space in my office forever and have caused my financial ruin. She wrote in a Facebook plea. Um, so she's asking Facebook. To so she buy invested. She invested her life into Hatchimals rather than in writing another. She couldn't sell them. Right, rather than in writing another book or like asking people to buy her books. Yeah, this is this is something else, man. Um, I am so so confused. I did watch the tutorial video. Of- <laughs> There's a tutorial video. It's nine minutes. I was like, I went on the site right, and the first thing is that. Uh, the funniest bit, really, was that you when you go onto the Hatchimals website, www.hatchimals.com, don't ask, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a notice at the front that's saying, we're sorry that there's no more stock of this. Basically saying, we're sorry that this crazy woman bought all the Hatchimals. Like, it, it's it's great. But once you sift through the, the legal messaging, um, you do get to a how-to. It's like, you know, about the product, here's the little toy. And there's a how-to video. It's like, why do I need a how-to video for this thing? And it's like it's like nine minutes long. It's and like there's a, serious, a lot of directions. You no, know, there's a lot of directions to play with these things. This is the sort of toy that would have given me a nervous breakdown as a child because it would have... As a child or now? I mean, definitely now, but like even then, like, because you have to pay attention to it constantly. It's like a Furby, right? It yells at you. It tells it has needs and it's like sentient and it wants to like eat and sleep and you know needs to be cared for and all this stuff or it won't hatch. Imagine imagine if the thing just like stopped hatching. How bad would you feel if you feel like you <laughs> killed it? Like there's a very real pressure of killing your toy. This is this is a time where I should mention that Eric's beloved Venus flytrap Francis has <sighs> bit the dust. 
Yeah. He's feeling very sensitive about this. I didn't think we were going to do that on the show today, Laura. (laughs) But here we are talking about my fallen friends. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, so that's the – we'll see how this plays out. Um, That's the saga of uh, Sarah Gruen and her 150 150 new friends that – I hope none of them die. She probably could have just done a GoFundMe or like gone to Netflix. She should get a Hatchimals Patreon. She should. Yeah. She should. That'd be good. I mean, if people want to pay for this podcast, why wouldn't they pay for offloading Hatchimals? I would absolutely donate to, like, her scheme. Like, that sounds great. Um, but I don't want a Hatchimal. Like, I just want to give her money. Like, I, I would pay to not have the, the toy. Like, she, like she'd, like, like, the mob. Like, something will happen to your desk yeah. if you don't pay me. And something that something is you will get a Hatchimal in the mail from Sarah <laughs> In Gruen. your bed, like a head, like a godfather. <laughs> Anyway, oh, uh, anyway, you oh, know, so is, I, that, is that enough Hatchimals content yeah, for this show? We're just our, our, you know, our hearts go out to Gruen if she is in a star-crossed lover situation, or yeah. if she's just thinking that this is honestly a good idea. Yeah, um, we're sorry that all the parents are coming after you, except for not really. Yeah, the parents they, are mad. They called her the Grinch. They literally which is called the worst her the thing Grinch. moms buying Hatchimals could say about someone. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. All right. It's awful. Do you know what else is awful? Tell me what else is awful. Um, this is the transition part this of the show. Is, this For is all the... you all you non-pros out there, this is called the transition. <laughs> um, something. Okay, so Abrams, a publishing company, right, so yeah, bring has, us in. Bring has done something a little awful. So there's this book um, that they that Abrams, this company, published called Bad Little Children's Books. Basically, it's a book full of satire covers. Like really offensive covers, pretending to be the covers of little golden books. And it's it is the kind of thing. Um, before we get to the actual book itself, it's the sort of book you could actually see Abrams doing really well. They like they do visual stuff like this. They do illustrated stuff with kind of a drier sense of humor. Obviously, we're gonna as we'll find here. This one went pretty far awry. But this is this feels like you know if you were, someone were to describe this project charitably to me, it does sound like an Abrams book. Oh um, yeah. So it's like all right, cool. Tell me about it. But then you find out what it is. Tell us what yes. it is. Yes. Okay. So this bad little children's book. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. So it you know got a fair number of positive reviews. And then there's a book, book blogger and former librarian named Kelly Jensen who published a blog post in early December about how that this book like isn't satire and it's not funny it's just like hardcore racist <laughs> and like after looking at some of the yeah, imagery no, they showed some of the pictures it's definitely yeah, racist. No, there's some there's some problematic ones in there but that's not that's not really the focus of yeah no it's one thing that's not what really we're going to talk about here um because that's obvious you know i mean we don't need to sit here on this podcast and be like racism is bad um but there is a there was something in the outcry and the response to the outcry that you at first found interesting and I agree is actually kind of fascinating to look at. Absolutely. So basically um, people mostly on social media and uh-huh. on blogs were passing this around. <laughs> Don't say that people were I, mad on Twitter. On Twitter, people got <laughs> mad online. Uh, so they were passing this around and they were basically calling for Abrams to stop publishing this mm-hmm. because it's a poor excuse of satire and it's not good and it's, you know, whatever. Um, so that's fine. The public Be- is spoken. We're in a business where, you know, publishers put out products for the consumers and the consumer put their, you know, feedback and their money and they kind of determine what's published and what's successful and what's not. 
people got really angry at this book for Abrams. Should, real quick, should we just for context like give an example of why people are mad about this? Give an like example. Well, like one of the images of the fake book covers they came up with was like a little kid in a you know blanket, you know, getting sick, and it was like here's the Native American smallpox blanket, you know, and it's like oh yeah, there uh, was this one. Is, yeah. There was one that said Happy Burka Day. Yeah, and there was a picture of a girl in a burka like giving a wrapped present that was ticking to a little white boy. Yeah, see, the, it, not great. The, it's just kind of yeah. So not, you can see why people are, are getting mad at distasteful. this. Um, distasteful. But so people were mad. <laughs> people like consumers yeah. responded <clears throat> to the publisher and to the author who is pseudonymous. Pseudon is that a word? Pseud. Pseud- yeah, pseud- yeah, yeah, pseudonymous. Sure. Yeah, is that? I've never said it aloud, to be honest. It sounds kind of nice. I wanted to say it. I've yeah. been wanting to say it all day. Wow. So Abrams released a statement, and they okay. said, and this is from their their press release: "We stand fully behind freedom of speech and artistic expression, and fully support the First Amendment." We have been disheartened by calls to censor the book and to stifle the author's right to express his artistic vision by people we would expect to promote those basic fundamental rights and freedoms. Yeah, so before we before we get to what is wrong with or what's not wrong, but what's kind of false and kind of misguiding about that, there's someone someone else jumped in to this conversation. Uh, the National Coalition Against Censorship decided that they need to make a statement on this book. Um, and it reads as follows. We support Abrams's decision to publish this or any other book, even if it offends some readers. We urge the company not to accede to pressure to withdraw the book, but to stand for the proposition that it is the right of authors to write as they choose and of individuals to decide for themselves what to read. Sounds pretty okay. That all sounds very nice and patriotic and, you know, freedom of speech and rah, 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 and what a free place of ideas that we live in. But what is – and none of that is necessarily wrong, but what's what's the problem? It's a very basic problem with this. What is it? Well, Eric – this isn't censorship. It's not censorship. It's not censorship. <laughs> you guys, it's not censorship. Why isn't it censorship, Laura? So censorship, um, if you're not super familiar, is is a is a top-down phenomenon. Yeah. So it's when an official group, whether it be government, military, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, sets out regulations and guidelines and examines content for kind of negative, problematic Right. They decide what's good and what isn't allowed, and they enforce the law accordingly. Exactly. What it is not is consumers putting forth their – or exercising their First Amendment rights, saying, we don't like this. You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. It's – it's one of those things where they're treating, you know, as though their First Amendment rights have been infringed upon – when people say we don't like what you published, like that's not infringing on your. No one is questioning Abrams's right to publish this book. Nowhere in this criticism is someone saying that is not allowed to be published. And even if they did, that still isn't censorship because <laughs> they're not the people with power. But I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where just because somebody got mad at what you said and used ironically their first amendment rights to say so in a perfectly acceptable and legal way doesn't mean they're infringing on your right to do so it's you know just because someone says i think what you're saying is problematic that it um is propagating various racial stereotypes that it's you know kind of furthering a lot of ideas that we view as harmful um that isn't some sort of militant censorship that these people are so bravely railing against by continually by continuing to publish their you know their racist book. 
No, I, you know, and I think, I think the key thing here is that it's not that, I mean, it's alarming, first of all, that a publisher as big as this doesn't fundamentally understand what censorship is. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a problem in and of itself. But the problem is that they're doing bad business in this way. Uh-huh. Um, they are taking feedback from customers and they're invalidating it by saying, oh, no, you don't understand. You're actually being the bad guy. Right. Which is not good. Like, that's terrible business. That's a terrible yeah. idea. Well, so it kind of comes from this idea, and you, you see this a lot in um, in the comment section, which, which we're going oh, to. Oh, you've been so excited <laughs> which is my, for the Which is my section. favorite part of really any um, article, really, but this one, too. Um it's anytime like people speak up against this kind of stuff, they get you know ref- painted in some way as sort of this vigilante mob out to prevent you from saying what it is that you want to say. You know, it's it's the rail, it's pl- the it's the political correctness argument, the right? The political, the PC and, lynch mob is actually right. what many people yeah, call it, exactly. which is just problematic in all sorts of ways. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, no, these people get painted as far, having way too much power than they actually have or as though they're doing something other than simply expressing their opinion as consumers of the book. You know, I publish something and I release a statement. You don't like the statement and you tell me so. That's not – there's no problem here. Honestly, there's no challenge to anyone's rights here. There's simply me saying the ideas you're putting forth I find to be ideologically harmful. And we are asking. We are not telling. We are not enforcing. We are not policing. We are not doing anything dictatorially. We are asking that as a company that probably is attempting to be decent in most of its dealings, as Abrams surely is, to think about maybe scaling this back a little bit. There's nothing insidious here. There's no inf- infringement on rights. And so, and, but you see this all the time when someone says something really offensive and people get mad about it. The thing they love to do is then act as though they're this martyr for free speech, right? That the only reason um, or that rather than people just disagreeing with them and calling them out and saying what you've said is problematic in whatever way, it's that they're being attacked because they are holding a view that is somehow illegal in the eyes of the culture, which which is not the case here. And I don't know. It's just this this freedom of speech argument just gets so stupid every single time because it's this last like fake noble like weapon that these people have when they're trying to you know pretend that they've done something other than just kind of not think through something well enough. And that's what this was, I assume. You know, Abrams is a good publisher that makes good books and does all this stuff. Um, you know, they make a lot of books that we all really like, but this is just it was just an example of I guess a bad editorial decision or something and now they've got to like invent this free speech sword to fall on and it's just so stupid every single time it happens do you know what i think might be happening Hmm. so we've talked on the show a little bit about publishers kind of getting to the end stage you know where the books are out they're shipped they're receiving editorial reviews we've mentioned it before yeah we mentioned it before and a lot of times they end up losing a lot of money because they stop selling the book or um you know, they get all of this bad press. And I'm wondering if this, you know, going to the going to the censorship argument, if that's kind of a way to stop the losses a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it does, you know, it draws attention to it in some way. And obviously, once you start invoking things like 
um, you know, this language, right, this political correctness, you know, run amok, this censorship, this fake, oh, my rights are being infringed. There's a lot of people who are really, really into that kind of argument, right? And so I guess, you know, maybe there's some way to make this, you know, you know, they're making the book more notable or appealing in that way as sort of a symbol for, you know, our rights being infringed upon, which is so stupid. Um, but they're not. So what are they doing? What are the, what's their plan here? So what what happened is that Abrams was fully behind the hey, no, consumers, you're wrong and you're actually oppressing us. So that's a weird thing to say to your customers. Right. That, and that kind of goes to your point about business. Yes. Bad business. Like why? I mean, and let's and to that end. And I know that I'm interrupting you, but I want to just read here what the author ha- has said. Um, here we go. The book is clearly not being read by some in the way I had intended as satire, <laughs> which is always the other, which is always <laughs> there's the freedom of speech. And then the, the other argument is always, no, it was satire. You're you, just not you funny. guys just aren't funny enough to get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Here we go. Um, as, sat- as satire and more disturbingly is being misread as the very act of hate and bigotry that the work was meant to expose, not promote. For this reason, I have asked Abrams to cease publishing the book. So the author has, um, and there, there is something interesting here. I mean, I think that, you know, this person was, um, you know, there was a certain failure in execution here. I mean, you could see how if it had been handled a little bit better with maybe a little bit more, you know, more strong, a stronger editorial hand that something like this could be funny. Like, I don't think this yeah. person set out to make a book that propagated a bunch of racial stereotypes but it just kind of felt wrong and then once it did and the author you know here has kind of said okay well i see how it's being received and that's there's um, the disconnect between intention and reception and you know we talk about this over and over again you know reading goes both ways you know writing writing the act of creating works you know it's not just but i intended you to think this it doesn't count it doesn't count it doesn't count authorial intent is it's really it's kind of overrated and they're um you know the publisher not the author the publisher is sort of taking this as a you know this last line of defense when they really could just i don't know like this could go away and it, and it, it sort of is like they're they're withdrawing the book, uh, or they're not. They're not withdrawing the book from the market. They're just not going to reprint it. Yes. So it's out there, and these actually, what's funny here, is these books will probably, you know, they'll increase in value a little bit, right? Like as they become, I guess, rare and they're a topic of discussion, so maybe, maybe. people will want to own them. You know who should buy them is uh, Sarah Gruen. <laughs> <laughs> should they hatch though, Eric? <laughs> well, maybe not. Um, yeah, so she should she should make this her new secondary market um, grab. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, so obviously, with any with anything like this, um, the best part always ends up being the perfectly reasonable discussion that surrounds it. And so, of course, with something like this, I went and looked at the comment section of oh, the article. Oh boy! No, which is always the best. This is where the most reasonable takes come in, and <laughs> and the most spelling errors. <laughs> and you know, you have your first few. You know, your first few commenters are kind of just the basic. Um, you know, repeating of the article's main point, you know, the very reasonable, it's not funny, it's racist sort of point. And then, of course, some dude named Walter Boner jumps in. And this is when things Walter. get good. Mr. Boner has arrived on the scene to hit us with, I don't think you understand how humor works, which is exactly what I want. Honestly, I'm not mad at Mr. Boner. I want him here. I want him telling us that we don't get humor. I want him calling us the PC lynch mob. I want people comparing us, uh, comparing 
the consumers who are mad at this product um, to Hitler's Germany. That was a good part. Which is what that, you got. That was a good. <laughs> um, that was a good highlight of Which, this. Which fun fact: Hitler's Germany actually had censorship, <laughs> like real well, that's, legal censorship. Yeah, no, that's and that's that's this that's this guy's point. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of points in these in these comments that everyone is you know getting their takes off down here at the bottom of the article, and it's it's usually you know indicative of our you know internet culture now too where it's just time to start yelling about things and this is the classic thing that you can yell about on all sides and do your virtue signaling and get all oh no i well i think it's racist too and like get your little pats on the back for thinking so as well and honestly like the whole thing is just so dumb because you look at these images you know you look at this book cover and these uh book covers in here and of course of course they're inappropriate and we all could have seen that they're inappropriate and we all could have seen that they shouldn't be around and it's like all of this whole stupid conversation could have been avoided just by i don't know someone paying a little bit better attention you know then we wouldn't have to do this whole song and dance about the first amendment but but here we are uh, here we are <laughs> here we are looking up the miriam webster definition of censorship <laughs> did you How's Miriam doing? Did you look it up 9,000 times to make sure it was no, the word of the year? No, I didn't have time. Censorship Fe- would be a funny word of the year, too. Censorship would be a funny word of the year, but that's probably next year. This year, it's still fascism. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Well. We've got two weeks left, though, so one can hold out hope. <laughs> yeah. One can hold out hope. Anyway, I love how you just talked about the dictionary like Miriam is its first name. I Oh, I did do that, didn't I? <laughs> I do that in my house. I, I do a lot of I do a lot of freelance editing and everything, so I'm constantly uh, consulting uh, Miriam Webster, and I... You know, I work from home, and there's no one around. Um, rest in peace, Francis, the Venus flytrap. Um, but you end up you end up just kind of talking at whatever's there, and so sometimes Miriam is the person that's there to address. So the Merriam-Webster dictionary <laughs> is called Miriam. Yeah, Miriam. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's friendly. Sounds like a woman who would like you know make a pie and set it on the windowsill. Oh, that's nice. And also tell me what you know a word means. And it's like maybe, my ultimate. Yeah. It's like having a really nice grandmother. That's nice. That's Miriam. That's nice yeah. and is really searchable online. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of this is beside the point, though, Laura, because this is the holiday episode of Oy. Print Run. And so we obviously have to have some Christmas-themed content here here for you guys. And what is it? We decided to turn to something really, really important to publishing, really important in the portrayal of the modern bookmaking world. What is it? Well, Eric, it's one of my favorite holiday movies. Mm-hmm. Elf. 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 Um, I had forgotten, before we get started, I had forgotten that Zoe Deschanel was in this movie. It's because she's blonde, and her name is Jovi. Yeah. V. Yeah, I've no, I don't know anyone Not with that Not Jody. Jovi. Yeah. No, she's a good fit for this movie as kind of the bewildered person getting swept around by elves. This is a John Favreau <laughs> film. If you it haven't is. guessed. Yeah. It's great. Um, but so we, we are bringing up Elf because a lot of the characters are in publishing, right? Yes. It's about this um, long lost son of a, I guess, what is he? Is he an editor? He's, he's like a publishing no, he's, executive he's, he's of like some kind. He's like an executive. Kind. I mean, he's got a multi-room yeah. Manhattan apartment. Yeah. That's true. So, well, that was the, that was the first bit that was like, hmm, this, I don't know how realistic this is. This person has money. 
Um, but well, I think the wife also has money because yeah. she was talking about a budget yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, but still, they still have like room for a Christmas tree and like they have a <laughs> living room. If yeah. you're not familiar with apartments in New York, yeah. they don't have living rooms. So what were, well. Well, they have areas that you turn into two more bedrooms. Oh, we had a living room in one apartment I had. But then one of the, but part of the living yeah, room. Yeah, no, I lived a, in like a cell, but yeah, we see? had a living room. That living doesn't room count. Was much nice. That doesn't count. If it's and an illegal bedroom, it's not a living okay. room. <laughs> Um, so what were your publishing takeaways from the movie Elf? How do you feel it did in portraying publishing? Well, Eric, I too wish that big publishing companies big enough to be located in the Empire State Building consisted Mm -hmm. purely of an executive, a jaunty Amy Sedaris as a secretary, (laughs) and then two like erstwhile writers who just want to have like... They're just like sitting around, yeah. Who just are sitting around and want to have talking tomatoes and like baby asparagus people who are self-conscious about their urine. Right. Like that's like... It's a four-person publishing company. Yeah, no, I mean for me, you know, the most most relatable part was um, that when I was at a publishing house, I too felt that most of the people running around were giant Christmas grams and elf clothing uh, shouting at the top of their lungs about things I didn't understand. So uh, that was good. You know, I felt that that part was particularly relatable to yeah. me. Yeah, you know, I, I learned a big lesson about my my job mm-hmm. from from Elf. I learned that if you wear yellow tights mm-hmm. and have your junk fully visible... Yeah. You will eventually be a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> yeah, no, I, trust me, I've tried that. <laughs> I tried that at work. It didn't. It didn't work. Yellow's and not your color. You're no, too blonde. No, and they kicked me out. Similar, similar to Buddy the Elf, they escorted me out of the building. Mm, yeah, but it wasn't the Empire State Building. No, it wasn't. Bummer. It was near the Empire State Building. Yeah. Yeah, right down yeah. the road. Which, yeah, it's it. You know, p- putting like a publishing house in the Empire State Building was an interesting yeah. choice. I think. I yeah. Don't know. Anyway, it's a it's a fun movie. There's there's a lot of publishing. There's um the you know the the funny part is when Elf first came out. There's this whole thing about okay, so so to give you a little bit of background if you haven't seen it. So Buddy the Elf, his, who's played by the uh, the wonderful Will Ferrell, um, his father is on the naughty list, and his father is this executive of this children's publisher called he, Greenway Publishing. Yeah, he's an executive who is like dealing with his estranged children in between yelling about misprints, with def- which definitely checked out for me about publishing. Like a lot of people who have forgotten their large elven sons also <laughs> like, you know, fucking up like book printing. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, here's yeah, yeah. the thing. Like, okay, so the whole thing is when we first get introduced to him, they're in crisis mode because it's right before Christmas mm-hmm. and they get this book back from the printers and it's missing an entire spread. Right. It's missing two pages. Right. And they decide not to reprint it and spend $30,000 reprinting it, but they decide to ship it anyway because kids are dumb and they won't notice. Right. And so this man has to ignore his family to fix this book. Um, right. Which but, again, totally realistic. But and yeah, and and the best part the best part is that they don't just like reprint it. They like the board comes in and they're like, you need to have a brand new bestseller in place of this one, right. which doesn't make any sense. Right. But here's the thing: when this first came out, this movie first uh-huh. came out, uh-huh. I was like, yeah, no publisher like misprints books like that. Eric? Oh no, we misprint books all the time. So yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wrong. So I have actually like seen books come back from the printer the entire print run is like missing two pages <laughs> and the entire print run is sold out yeah i've seen pages upside down before <sighs> you've seen that eric how does this happen i don't know how it happens 
people are idiots. What do you mean you don't oh, know that how was, it happens? That was the other, that was the other bit um, that I found to be highly triggering to my past experience is the part where uh, the guy comes in and hands him, like, the printout with his initials on it and says, well, you signed off on this, didn't you? Why is there errors to it? And the guy's like, I don't know whose initials are these. And it's like it's like his and, like, that stupid process of, like, passing around the printout and everybody, like, signing it without looking at it and then, like, realizing something is totally wrong, that part definitely felt real. Everybody signs oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, you, you, well, I mean, you know, you have the little, you know, you print out the jacket or something and then all the people have to, like, say they looked at it and corrected it and stuff and, like, no one actually looks at it and corrects it and so then it's wrong. That and then we, seems yeah, like it's just, a pointless part of the process if nobody is, looks at it. Well, there are a lot of pointless parts of the process. Uh, <laughs> Um, but that that's one of them. So that part was good. Do even the executives um, sign off on it? Well, usually one or you know whoever's in charge. Yeah, whoever's in charge. Um, yeah. The other the other part I laughed out loud at um, was the part where he tells his family. He says, and this is again, you know, he's in crisis mode because a book has been misprinted. His whole family life is falling apart. He's got this giant elf son, um, <laughs> Six you know, three. running around like discovering his sexuality with Zoe Deschanel. Like this, it's all <laughs> same. You're, you're, Honestly, Eric, same. <laughs> your large, your large unemployed son is definitely a feature of most publishing um, executives. So that's good. Um, is when he says, "No one," or he says, uh, "I'm going to get this right." I'm one bad pitch away from getting fired. No one in publishing has ever been one bad pitch away from getting fired because people have bad pitches every single day. Like if people were one bad pitch away from getting fired, everyone would be fired all the time. I would be <laughs> fired like nine times. Like so, And so would everyone above me and beneath me. Like the whole – all of publishing is bad pitches. All of it. Can you give and, me an example of one of your bad pitches? Well, No. No, all my pitches, I mean, I wasn't speaking about me. Of course, all my pitches were excellent <laughs> at all times. That's why you're now a literary agent yeah. and that's your job is yeah. to do pitches. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, the, I don't remember any many of the bad ones, but there were lots of them. I mean, you don't publish most of the stuff you talk about, you know. It's like, um, but this guy being like all stressed out that if he like doesn't get this one particular pitch right that, um, you know, basically his career and family is going to dissipate. I found that to be amusing. And then. Obviously, his means of fixing that, which was, I felt, pretty accurate, was you end up trying to fix crises by doing things like talking about sentient asparagus, like being worried about how their urine smells. Um, that definitely. <laughs> and talking tomatoes, which are yeah, apparently yeah, yeah. too sensitive for children. Yeah. And for me. Well, yeah. And for me. It's like a hatchimal. It is. It's like a hatchimal. You squeeze it and little seeds come out. Yeah. I bet you. That's the thing with those hatchimals is you can like hit them too hard. It was like if you in the tutorial video. Tell I me watched, about the tutorial video. <laughs> if you like, you're supposed to like pat it on the head, right? And if like, but if you hit, pat it too many times, he gets like motion sickness or something, and his eyes turn green. It's like what? Anyway, I mean, I get motion back, sickness, but I'm a human, yeah, not a robot. Well, back, back to Elf, anyway. please. Before we, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like the publishing. The publishing world has a lot of, you know, the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, a lot of people who are real elf enthusiasts um, running around speaking at a high volume and kind of not really understanding how anything in the real world works. So, yeah, it's very it's very much like publishing. One thing I didn't find accurate, mm -hmm. though, is that it actually showed, like, people working right around Christmas. Oh, yeah, no one does not that. Actually, so there was the bit where, you know, he comes – the elf comes in for the first time and they all – um, like everyone in the company stands up and comes to the door and clearly no one's been doing any work. That part was pretty good. I was like, yeah, that, that seems right. Yeah. But then um, like a bunch of people like staying on Christmas Eve. You know, that, yeah. Like nobody works the last three weeks of December in publishing. Yeah. Well, 
it's like a mix. That's where you that's where you find out who's who. That's when everybody takes their vacation. Mm, like half the people take their vacation and the other half is like trying to save their family with asparagus books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is it it's weird like, that I'm hungry right now? Yes, honestly. We're talking about vegetables with like lives and feelings. You're like, mm, yeah, I'm going to eat them. <laughs> um, so I don't yes. know. Yes. I, yeah. Elf, anyway, is. The mailroom was good. The mailroom The mailroom actually is that fun. Wait, have pub- you been to the mailroom in the big office building? Uh, the one when I were I don't know about what's the big office building. I don't building know. In New I York. mean, their their mailroom isn't just the publisher's mailroom. Their mailroom was oh. the Empire State Building. Well, the mailroom at, at the press, you know, the presses I worked for, um, that was like definitely where I went to like not do any work. For like, real? Yeah, yeah, you just go down there and like hang out with the guys in the mailroom and I don't know, like talk about basketball and generally avoid all responsibility of any kind. Mm. Um, that part was good. No, do you I, go down there to cry? No, I didn't go there to cry. I went. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went. I, I had other. Did you go to the roof to cry? No, 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 no. There was like stairwell. A little, there was like a little cafeteria room, ninth floor. Ooh. You need to do, just do a little crying in there, you know. Yeah, it's a perfect spot. Would you like be sitting in a chair and then somebody would like be in the corner of your vision, like also crying? Yeah. No, it was a safe space. Good. Yeah. That's key. Mm-hmm. With bad coffee. Oh well, everywhere. Yeah. Mm. There's lots of bad coffee. I like that. Out. Anyway, Elf. Well, what about so there was one other bit though. What other bit? The author meeting. The author. Oh, right? yes. When where Miles they bring Finch. In, where they bring in the, the short man. Yes. What's the, Miles what's the Finch. Uh, dwarf is the technical <laughs> term. Uh, Buddy the elf gets in trouble because he calls him an elf. Oh. And then Miles Finch, who is in a very dapper suit and yeah. is the yeah, very yeah, yeah. handsome Peter Dinklage. Right. Gets without, you know, before he mm-hmm. come, becomes Tyrion. Yeah. Um. Looks just as sharp, though. Yeah, that was fun. Like a bunch of – that was also true about author meetings is usually you end up with like six people whose job it is to do nothing but say nice things while like one person actually does the work in the meeting. That's that's very common. Like you need to fill the room with a bunch of people who are just there to smile and say that the person's brilliant because otherwise how will they feel that they're getting the full publisher experience? So this character is basically a ghostwriter, like mm-hmm. somebody who's brought in to like – write an idea on spec and like yeah. make this project successful. Yeah. Eric, you're writing your, you're doing your first ghostwriting project. Um, no one's picking me up in luxury SUVs and driving me around. I can tell you that. And like giving you Fiji water. I would love some Fiji. Do you have any? I would love some I Fiji don't. water. I have a gong. That's it. That's, that's Y'all as thought close. we forgot about it, didn't we? We didn't. We didn't forget <laughs> about the gong. No, anyway. you know, like I would love it if people treated writers like ghostwriters like that. Like the writers who just like get down and dirty and like make the deadlines and do the money. You know, not, yeah. not the ones that are just the big names who are just, you know, able to do whatever yeah. they want. Speaking of Tyrion, George, we're talking about you. We are Write talking your about book. George. Yeah, so I mean really so for me the main takeaway from Elf as it relates to publishing is that it's a lot of socially inept people running around in strange clothing um, shouting at inopportune times. And that to me really spoke to my work experience. Yeah, so just, you know, if you want some of the Christmas cheer and you want to know a little bit more about publishing, give, yeah. it, a, give it a try. Yeah. You can rent it on iTunes. I mean, everyone has seen Elf at this point. If you haven't seen Elf, I mean, I don't, I don't ever watch movies and I've seen Elf many times. I know somebody who hasn't seen Elf that I talked to earlier today. Wow. We're no longer friends. Yeah, no, you shouldn't be. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Yeah. They listened to um, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey about mm-hmm. 500 times. I have listened to that about 500 times. This Every year. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, I've been on a real uh, holiday music pl- uh, 
like kick right now. A lot of Michael Bublé. Mm, the boob. The boob. <laughs> <laughs> he, he must have a nickname that isn't that. I don't know. All I know is that a friend of mine in college really loved him and called him the boob. Wow. That sounds like a person that hasn't seen Elf. We'll call it that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that probably does it for our Elf content. That huh? does it. Yeah. Please, please watch it. Enjoy it. Pay attention to children's book publishing. <laughs> Because it is just as fraught and just as ridiculous. And just as, as that filled with people in strange tights, yeah. So many tights. Yeah. So many weird tights. Right. Um, anyway, thank you so much for joining our holiday <laughs> slash Christmas episode of Print Run. Uh, remember, we'll do, be returning January should 3rd. Should we do a right tip? Oh, we should do a right tip. Why did I can you, forget? Can you not silence our authors? I'm sorry. Laura. I'm sorry. Um, so we'll make it quick though, since you seem to be in such a hurry to get away from our listeners. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but, guys. so today it's a, it's a query tip and it's a, it's a basic one for pitching, which is to use really specific and, um, specific and appropriate comp titles, right? Like every, so many conversations in publishing are based on what book is like this book, right? It's which, you know, what can we compare this to? What or can we look at in terms of a sales profile, in terms of in an aesthetic? In the writing terms, we call it similes. Wow. Man. That's that's a lot to take in right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so when you're writing your pitch, usually you're going to want to provide some sort of, you know, my book is X meets X, right? Or it's like a, it's a mixture of this kind of author with this kind of book. You know, you're trying to give a sense of what kind of stuff is already out there that um, it's sort of similar to your book to kind of demonstrate some sort of like market for what it is you're writing. And I guess my advice on this is to pick things that are like, don't go crazy with it. Like don't comp your book to Harry Potter, you know, and I, obviously everyone can hear that and know that that's ridiculous, but you know, there's a lot lesser versions of that. Like to take some, you know, what you don't want to do with your comps is pick something that is just so wildly commercially successful that there's probably no way that your book is at least going to be pitched with that same expectation. You know, pick something specific that's like your book, even if it's not the didn't win a million prizes. You know, pick something that really does a good job of describing what it is that your book is in whatever way. And you can say why, you know, maybe it's the writing style, maybe it's the setting, whatever. Um, reason your book is comparable to it, but yeah, a book a book so big no longer has a niche in the marketplace, so it no longer explains anything about your book other than I think my book is going to be really successful. Right? Yeah. No. The key the key is to describe what you're writing, not to like convince me that your book is going to sell a million copies. You know, because we're going to come to that. Obviously, everyone involved is going to want to make the book sell a million copies. Like, it's it's a matter of trying to be descriptive and specific and to demonstrate some market knowledge. And um, so I guess the point is don't shoot so huge with comp titles. You know, don't comp your book to, you know, number one and two on the bestseller list right now. You know, don't, you know, pick something that um, and pick something recent. That's the, my other point. Um, you know, book markets change a lot. Um, so if you can pick something within the last, hopefully within the last three years, I mean, maybe five if it's a really good one. Um, but, you know, pick something that has come out recently so we can say, hey, people right now are reading this kind of stuff, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Can I bring it please, home now? Please bring it home. Oh, Laura. you guys, I just got so excited. <laughs> All right. We're on break. We're yeah. resuming January 3rd. 
If you're a Patreon supporter and you are a writer and really into our special content episodes where we critique real submissions like right by writers like mm-hmm. you, Query Show, December 15th, First Pages Show, December 29th. Only the Patreon supporters will be able to access this. So we're not really disappearing for two weeks. No, we'll be we're around. still here. Yeah. We're still here. Yeah. Um, we're just not going to be in Minnesota. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. We had a good time. Go home. Go watch Elf. Go mm-hmm. read some actual golden books, not the Bad Little Children's <laughs> book by Abrams. Uh, and have a great holiday season. All right. See ya. 